You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 101. The process of change requires different neural wiring in the brain. And this is what people come to coaching for. They want to, I think, they don't just want the solutions. They want to build their own capacity. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Star Coach Show. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler, and I want to warmly welcome you. I'm super excited for today's show. We do such an interesting talk about neuroscience and coaching and the whole concept of theory and practice and what we as coaches offer. We're going to get to that in just a second with our amazing guest, Anne Betts. I do want to once again thank all of you for tuning in. I know that those of you who are regular listeners know that I had this goal of getting a hundred reviews before our hundredth episode. Well, unfortunately, that didn't happen. However, I wanted to just reinforce that that doesn't mean that if you're ready to leave a review and you just didn't had, hadn't had an opportunity to do so yet, any rates and reviews that can be left are greatly appreciated. And I just want to let you know how much I appreciate you listening to the show. If you are interested in the show and want to be sure that you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe so that you get the episode delivered to you every week. That's what I do with my favorite shows. And I look forward to them popping up on my phone and letting me know that they are available. So let's do a dive into what we're going to talk about today. You know, one of the courses that I teach in solution-focused coaching, I use a cartoon. And the cartoon shows two scholars in front of a blackboard, and it has the word coaching written, and then an arrow to, then a miracle occurs, and then an arrow to professional and personal success. Well, the truth is, it's not a miracle that occurs, although sometimes coaching can really feel miraculous in the kinds of changes that our clients make, in the partnership and the power in that. And the reality is that we are operating off of tried and true tools and theories that create the practice of coaching. In the 100th episode summary that we did last week around words, the, the wisdom that has come out in, in about the essence of coaching, several of our guests pointed out the importance of understanding theory and building on theory. And our guest today continues that very vein of thought in how do we bring to our coaching practice 
the value of being grounded in theory. Our guest this week is Anne Betts. Anne is the co-founder of Be Above Leadership. She's an international speaker and trainer. She works continually on the intersection of neuroscience, coaching, and human transformation. She is absolutely so well-versed in this whole concept of what specifically sort of occurs in the brain as we work with our clients on their pathway to change. Anne is also the co-developer and leader of Be Above Leadership's popular training program for advanced coaches. She does a neuroscience consciousness and transformational coaching training that, that I have a couple friends who have gone through and are just absolutely talk about how incredibly helpful it was. And as a matter of fact, it's one of those must-do trainings on my list that I want to attend as well. Anne is the author of a couple different coaching books. And actually, in the interview, you'll hear her note that there's a couple different books that she would recommend. And I've put those books on our resource page, along with her books so that you can get to know her more. It was an absolute pleasure to spend time with her to explore this whole concept of the process of change, willingness to believe in our client's capacity to implement the changes in their lives, to to determine what those changes are, and to explore the neuroscience that goes into that. So I'm not going to make you wait anymore. Let's go to our interview with Anne Betts. Anne Betts, welcome to the Star Coach Show, and thank you for joining us today. Oh, I am so happy to be having this conversation and looking forward to it already. Well, as am I. So to let everybody know, Anne and I have just spent about 20 minutes trying to whittle down her incredible breadth of knowledge to find something that we can talk about for 30 minutes, even though I would like it to be four hours. And even then we couldn't even touch (laughs) on all of it. But we're going to look at today the concept of the value that coaching brings and just embracing the the process, embracing and trusting and believing in the process in such a way as how do we embody that as coaches and bring it forward to the world, to our clients and some, some of the neuroscience that's involved in that. And that is Anne's specialty. So Anne, when we think about just that concept, what are some of the things that come top of mind for you? Well, you know, I think that what's really interesting about where coaching fits is that, you know, certainly I was trained as a coach like eight, 17 years ago, 2001. So it's been a while. And what I got was so much practice. I got, you know, get in there and try it and feedback on what I was doing and experiential learning. And it was amazing. But at that time in particular, I didn't get any theory about what I was doing. And then, you know, my father actually is a psychologist. And so he had tons of theory, but we would always talk about how in his program, he didn't get that, you know, until he got into the practicum, it was all theoretical. Right. So what I think is really interesting is that 
coaches are often highly skilled at doing human development with people, but, but underskilled in knowing why what they're doing works. And when we don't know why that can influence the way that we bring it forward, because maybe it, it undermines the confidence in it. Yeah. And so we end up saying things like, just trust me, it works. Or, you know, the client says, why do you want me to stand up? And you're like, ah, you know, I know it might sound a little weird, but, you know, try it. And, and usually what coaches will find is after they've been working with a client for a while, or even after they've been a coach for a while, they start seeing the evidence of the results and they get more confident in all of that. But one of the things I'm really interested in is how do we bring in this amazing practice that we do as coaches with some more really grounded theory that says, well, here is why you would want to have a client stand up. Here is what they could access when they're standing up. And, you know, and since we're right there, I've got, you know, books that I can recommend on that. But the short answer is our brain just isn't, isn't just in our head. People think one of my clients today was saying, yes, my body's job is mostly to carry my brain around. And she was laughing at herself because she's aware that for her to know what's right for her, she can't always trust this. And she needs to look at, if I'm having a conversation with this person, is it making me nervous? Is it making me warm? Is it making me feel like leaning in? Is it making me feel like going away? And that gives her a a more accurate truth than what we might be processing in our in the brain in our head. So we literally have neurons all throughout our body. Our body is a processor. And if you can explain that to your client, just even saying that, that's right. fine. Your body is a processor. So I'm going to have you stand up because we're going to activate some of the brain that's in your body. And most clients will just go with you. They just want a reason. Right. Right. And you want to be able to explain it in a concise, clear way, but that leads to credibility as well about what it is that we're doing this for. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think about the, you know, one of my So one of my favorite things, my partner is a coach and he used to be a social worker. And when he studied coaching, and I know you're a recovering therapist, you could probably relate, maybe you can relate. Yes, I'm a clinical social worker as well. So your partner and I have that in common. You will can have a conversation. So when he went to coaching school a few years ago, what blew him away was this idea that people are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole, and that they have their own answers within and that His job is to facilitate that process. And, you know, he always talks about what a mind shift that was for him as a clinical social worker. Does that resonate for you? Oh, it does resonate with me. It certainly does. And when that shift happens, we shift away from one of the things that always disturbed me, even when I was solidly in the world of therapy, which was for over 20 years, was that when other therapists would want to process with me or talk through an issue with me, and they would label their clients by their diagnosis. I have a borderline that I'm working with. I have a, you know, and and it would just go all over me, a bit like a rash. I mean, I would be Again, your body knew that there was something that didn't fit. That's interesting since we're talking about the body. Like you have a physiological reaction. I would. And I would have to, what because that would immediately kind of close my brain to what was being asked or it would get in the way of my curiosity about the situation. (laughs) 
And I would, you know, have to kind of tell me more about your client. You know, can I have a first name? Could I have something to to help? Let's get past the label. And when we label people, uh, so as coaches, we want to be able to fully believe in the resourcefulness of the client. What else might you want to say about that piece and how we can show up as coaches? I love that. And I love this idea that, that that is so because of that core belief we have as coaches. And what, in my experience, having trained many, many coaches over the years, as you have as well, this is the thing that will keep someone from being certified as a coach if they can't hold that stand. They cannot, you know, they cannot be masterful in all of their skills, but if they see people as creative, resourceful, and whole, you've got a lot of room to screw up. Right. Right. Because frankly, you know, it's interesting and I have some neuroscience, but I want to tell you something. This is a, I've done a process and I've done it internationally and I've worked in some crazy places like rural Costa Rica and very, very rural Nepal and worked with people and asked them. And then also US, Canada, China, all over the place, the world. Yeah. The world. So this seems to be universal from my experience. So I've asked them, what do you feel like when somebody does not see you as naturally creative, resourceful, and whole? We just talk a little bit about it, but then we just give them those words in whatever language. Universally, it pisses people off. <laughs> Excuse me. No, that, that's spot on. <laughs> Universally. <laughs> nobody likes it, you know? And there's a percentage of people who use it as motivation. They say, I'm going to prove that I am. When we ask them to think about a time somebody didn't see them as capable or able, just that simply. And it didn't matter, rural Costa Rica, rural Nepal, you know, Toronto. People, people report back, it is, it, I feel demoralized, I feel unseen, I'm not close to the person. And when, we, when I ask them, what does it feel like when somebody does see you that way? And maybe even when you're not seeing yourself that way. And I remember when I was a young person, I was probably in my late 20s, and somebody said, I want you to manage, I want you to be a manager. And I'd never seen myself that way. And it was like, you know, who are you talking yeah. to? I, Excuse I me? Yeah. Excuse me? Me? And, and this feeling of like being called forth and being, and scared, but in a good way, Mm -hmm. not scared because of a threat, but scared, like, wow, could I be who you see me? And that's a fairly common response that when nobody gets upset, when they're seen that way, they might get a little scared because they're not seeing themselves that way, but it gives them a place to live into. So I find that fascinating. And yet in school and in, in some therapeutic relationships, not all, but, you know, in congregations across the board, we... In some consulting relationships. Yes. Yes. You know, we're not being seen that way. And when you look at this and say, huh, this is really interesting. Nobody likes that. Nobody feels empowered by that. Why are we doing it? And as coaches, what's so powerful. If you have one thing as you're working with new clients, it's, I think it's to lean into critically. It is how I see you. That's one of the critical differences. What would you say for those who are listening who say, well, how do I show that? How do I convey that to my clients? What would you say? Yeah, because frankly, it's still a little countercultural. So people will say, oh, coaching. So you're going to help me. You're going to tell me what I should do. And you're like, no, (laughs) 
not going to tell you what you should do. You know, and probably, probably you've had clients who, you know, come on and they present this problem and then like, what should I do? I'm like, you know, you know what I'm going to say. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you want to do. Although there's, you know, and particularly for people first coming into the profession, they might feel like, well, they're paying me if they want me to give them the answer. So yeah. So there's it, that whole mind game that goes on. Yeah. Okay. So part of what I say, and I, you know, this has been what the value for me. So I've been deep in the neuroscience of human development, including coaching. So looking even more broadly for about eight years, I should have a PhD. If I had just started it eight years ago, I would have had enough writing, but I don't, but it's fine. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, but you're whatever. still bringing incredible value. I don't care. At any rate, so this part of it is it's given me these really great understanding of why this is so critical. So there's a couple of reasons. One is the process of learning. And when we think about something, a word I'm sure you're familiar with, probably many people, is neuroplasticity. So that's the, the way that the, it's that the brain is plastic and can grow and change, and it does grow and change depending on experiences. We're incredibly adaptable. You know, we hear that evolution is survival of the fittest. More accurately, as I understand it, it's survival of the most adaptable. We can adapt to anything. Our brain can make new patterning for good or bad, right? <laughs> we can adapt to terrible situations and wonderful ones. And in fact, we can adapt to, you know, all of us making something that's really great that you think, wow, you know, five years ago, if I was earning this much money, I would have been in hog heaven. And now you're just thinking, well, wait a minute, you know, yeah. we, anyway. So the process of change requires different neural wiring in the brain. And this is what people come to coaching for. They want to, I think, they don't just want the solutions. They want to build their own capacity. So number one, on a practical level, if I give you the solutions, what I say is, I got all the wiring going on in my brain about what you should do, but you don't have it yet. Because if so that's I, okay, I'll take care of you and give it to you. Right. In which case you will always need me and I'll make a lot of money. Right. <laughs> But I want and at my- some point, where's the respect and the belief that the person really can have their own pathways? Right. And even to the extent, so you talk about consulting relationships. I, I asked a friend of mine who high le- was a high-level consultant at one of the big consulting firms, I won't say the name, strategy consultant and very skilled. And I said, okay, when you go, you know, and they pay millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to develop a strategy for a company, how often do they implement it? He said, if we're lucky 50% of the time, that is not a very good track record. Not for if, that kind of investment. No, million dollars, you want it or more or billions for these strategy people. And they've got maybe, and because it is that they, all of the consultants, their brains are lighting up like a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Bing, bing, boom, this, that, but that is not where it needs to light up. So one of my students said to me, I love this line. Oh, I want the light bulb to go off in their head, not mine. Oh, so important. Because what you get when the person comes to that realization and they think, oh, I could tell my mother that we're not going to go on vacation with her this year. What that is, is it's a, it's a new firing and it's a new potential pathway to walk down that is not the pathway of, oh my God, once again, I have to go on vacation with my judgmental mother. Yes. Now you have this little, little trickling path, tiny little path through the forest. And then with coaching, we can practice, we can reinforce, 
We can celebrate. And all of that makes that every time they do it, every time they say to mom, gee, mom, maybe a week won't work for us. How about a weekend? Wow. You know, you reinforced the new pathway standing up to my mom. Never had to do that. (laughs) This is not a personal example. (laughs) Asking for a friend. (laughs) But when you do that, that gets stronger and more possible. And you literally are making a stronger pathway. And then at some point, it becomes easy. And just saying, hey, here's what we're doing this year. No, we're not going to do that with you. Isn't all fraught and dramatic and anxious. And it just becomes the way you live. But that the person has to do it themselves. Right. So it comes to me, that example to me felt like a perfect example about explaining how coaching to the who of the of who the client is versus like just getting down to tactical so what are you going to do next time your mama in fact kind of living in that space of helping the client better understand themselves and the importance and all those things so can you talk a little bit about coaching to the who rather than to the what right yeah i love that and it's there's a couple of different things i could, could talk about in terms of the brain if you only do the, so in for me, it, it actually comes back to integration. And it's part of what I love about being a coach is I think we need a huge bunch of the who, and then we need a little bit of the what, because mm-hmm. a little bit of the what helps us practice the who. Right. <laughs> that just sounded like a Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> the book's coming out in the fall. <laughs> right. So let's talk about that. I'm thinking about I'm trying to think. There's a couple of different places. One is that we have two different networks in our brain, and one of them is called the task network, and it is where we actually are in the present moment. And we're like, you know, I think about somebody just sent me the recording schedule for this thing that I'm doing. This is a great example of task. She had to make a spreadsheet. She had to figure out how long things were. And there's a way of your brain gets super focused when you're on the task and very present moment. And this is great. If people don't have this ability, they have trouble getting out of their own way. And for some of my clients, I need to actually help them with that. Mm-hmm. However, when we are here, it is, it's like being a horse with blinders, like the old-fashioned cart horses that are yes. pulling the, you know, the logs through the town and they've got those blinders on their eyes. They can't see what's around them because they're just focusing forward and your brain is like that. And it, so what this doesn't give you when you're in task, it actually shuts down the parts of your brain that understand vision, purpose, other people's perspectives, relationships, dreaming. So it's so present focused. It's just here right now. And if you need to go past or future, which is where your vision lives in the future, and some of your wisdom lives in the past, you actually have to soften out your focus and and allow something called the default mode network to take over. And the default mode network is really the only thing you need to know. It's when your mind wanders. And by the way, unless we're like focused, our minds wander all the time. Right, right. I was going to say my default mode works really, really well. 
your mind's you go in the shower and your mind's wander or you're on a conference call that's not that interesting and your mind mind wanders or you make it to the store and you don't know exactly what happened between point a and point b exactly but you're in default mode and sometimes even when you're you know doing something where you should be focusing like reading a book you'll notice that you've gone off into mind wandering and this is just a natural part of who we are now the challenge with this is if your mind wanders too long, it will often take you to a dark place, what they call rumination. So then the antidote is do something, get back present, do a task. And But I think a lot of what we're doing as coaches is we're helping people productively use their default mode network because we're actually asking them questions around things like if I say to you, you know, what did you learn from all your years as a therapist? You have to like, you kind of have to go back and be like, huh, what did I learn? That's an interesting question. question. Let me think about that. (laughs) Right. And your mind has to sort of wander and look for some connections and, and wonderful wisdom and insight are available there that are not available when we're just go, go, go. But there's a dance between them of the motivation that comes from our wisdom and our vision. And then let's actually now be present and do something with it. So for me, this is the being and the doing that we talk about in coaching. And they're, they're, super, criti- they're super critical because they, I think they just activate these different aspects of our brain. Well, and, and when we think about the different aspects and and how we as a coach can kind of help our clients tap in to their own brilliance. What do you see as maybe, I don't want to go the negative, but I mean, in, in a way, what can we do to actually get in the way of that? And then what can we do to get that out of the way, if that makes sense? To get in the way of the client's own brilliance? Yeah. I think a lot of coaches and me included, you know, I've done this for, for, <laughs> for 17 years and that doesn't mean I always do it perfectly, you know? And certainly a lot of learning along the way. And I think when what I notice when I get in my own way and from training coaches when they get in their own way, they get too worried about the outcome. They get freaked out about the process. And I think about, you know, one of the processes that there are things that we do in coaching that don't have an, you have to go in a ways, right? Mm-hmm. You have to lean into it before the aha happens. And it's that discomfort with, letting that other person's brain stew a little bit and trusting that they're okay. Mm -hmm. And even if you end the session and they don't have any big aha, we get addicted to the aha and the production and the next thing and the validation, even as coaches. So I'm valid now. I have earned my X amount of dollars that you just are going to pay me. You have a, a thing. Yes. Other than saying it is a, it's a, it's a process of unlearning and relearning and exploring. And yes, there needs to be some success along the way. Bottom line, and this is a long answer, it's our own fear that gets in the way. So key. So if if we're tapped into the fact that, you know, is it my agenda? Is it my fear that's getting in the way? Do I have to bring value? And the minute that I feel like I have to bring value, I've firmly embedded myself in the middle of the session. What can we do instead? 
Well, I think it's one of the, you know, one of the things I love about being a coach is I think it's just been the most kick-ass personal growth journey because, yeah. you know, I have had to, it has required that I develop a healthy non-attachment that I've been able to use in other areas of my life. And so back to this idea, I come back to naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. That's my mantra. And it served me. My son was four years old when I first went to coach training school. He's 22 now. And I got to tell you, this mantra of saying he is naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. I have a role in his life. I'm one of his resources, but he is. It's his life. Has saved me so much drama and angst. And frankly, we are super close. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because he knows that I see him that way. So he trusts me. Huge amount of trust there. And he also knows I'm a resource. And if he calls me up and says, you know, I don't know what to do about this issue with my girlfriend. Can you give me advice? I'm like, oh, thank God I can give advice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you asked. <laughs> it's great. But this, so coming back to bringing value in the client session, if I reorient myself to this place of saying, I'm going to keep holding them naturally creative, resourceful, and whole, I'm going to keep trusting, they are brilliant. There's brilliance in there. And I have to have patience and non-attachment. And it is not about my ego as a coach. I am more committed to my service of them than did I, you know, make you have an aha. Then that's where miracles occur. But it's such a light space. Mm -hmm. And I see you, I'm sure you know this. Oh, it just, but I love the way that you put that. And it comes back again then to trust. And and so to me, this is one of the key things that hits on trust and intimacy for our client. You know, clients will tap in if you're not really authentically believing in their wholeness because you do things like rescue just a little bit or get in there and over nurture just a little bit or maybe make a, a question that is a loaded suggestion. Um, <laughs> Because maybe, just maybe, you don't really believe that they will get there. Right. And then that's, and ultimately, I think the painful part of realizing that, and this took me many, 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 many years, and I probably haven't still totally integrated it, is that that, that desire comes from my ego. It just does. I want to be great, and I want to be good, and be the best coach, and to understand, you know, when I trust. So for me, it's a couple of things. It's trust on many different levels. So, so it's trusting myself. Mm-hmm. That we are in this relationship with, I'm in this relationship with the client and it is somehow perfect. It is somehow right. We were called together and that is a spiritual belief on my, mm-hmm. on my part. We were, this is not random. Now, maybe we both needed to learn that things sometimes aren't a fit. And so it had one session. That's fine. There's still a reason. Mm-hmm. So I got to trust that. I've got to trust them, their brilliance, that it's in there, that they know, so their soul knows. And we're going to hang out as long as that takes. And then I want to also say for all of the great coach training out there, and, you know, we both teach at a coaching school and I've taught at another coaching school and I'm aware of so many other brilliant ones. Trust the tools, trust the tools. These were not created out of nowhere. The models and the tools for, you know, most of these coaching, any legitimate ICF certified coaching program, trust the tools because people have tried them and they work. So like hang out in the tool. (laughs) Believe. Yes. Yeah. Right. You know, it, we're not just, 
throwing spaghetti at the wall, you know, probably like there's something. And that's what I, when I was used to train for a training school and we had, you know, particular tools, one was a way of taking different perspectives and people would, they get in the middle of it because it would, you know, take maybe half an hour or an hour uh-huh. really help somebody shift their perspective because it's good, deep work. They'd get in the middle of it and they would not be able to like see the shore and they'd abandon ship. It's like, no, 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 go, for, go. This tool has been practiced a few thousand times, you know, going with it. You'll probably get somewhere. I got a visual when you were sharing that, um, the gospel story where one of the apostles gets out of the boat and starts walking to Jesus when Jesus is standing on the water. And then he freaks out and he starts to sink. And it's the same, you know, he was halfway there and he started to sink because he lost the faith. And it's, I mean, it just, for some reason, that that story popped into my mind when you were talking about, you know, just trust. You're, you're halfway through, you're in there, you're doing work, and then you, you put yourself solidly in the middle again and lose the focus. Trust the tools. Tr- have the faith. And I do think, you know, and I never really saw it as clearly as in this wonderful conversation with you, that that is part of the potential growth for people who really engage in being a coach on an authentic level is I do think we, there's a potential to really be more trusting of life and the process and the people around us and our partners and our children and our parents to live in this trust and non-attachment, which for me gives me an incredible amount of peace and ease in my life. So, Oh, that's so beautiful. So Anne, as we wrap up our time together, amazingly, what haven't I asked you, or haven't we touched on that we want to be sure to include in our time together today? Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. Maybe nothing. No, Maybe we've hit no, it. I think it's, it's sort of where we started out when we were talking beforehand about, I really want coaches to be incredibly proud of what we do. I really want that. And when I, so just very briefly, I went to neuroscience, I went and studied neuroscience on the graduate level because I actually wanted to understand more about human development. And what I found as I got into it, because it was a coach trainer, was, oh my God, what they're telling me works for human beings is what we do in coaching. And I leaned into a particularly very good model of coaching, and I looked at it and I said, let me see if I can refute any of this, because I'm kind of a rebel. And so I went and looked at it like, oh, let me just see if I can tell them they're doing it. You know, maybe I'm right and they're wrong. My you know, ego had some fun with that. And I couldn't. I couldn't. I could just find more and more evidence for why things like helping a client take a new perspective, by the way, one of the best things you can do to reduce stress. Physiologically, people have fewer stress chemicals in their body when you help them take a new perspective. You know, and it go, the list goes on and on and on. When we work with the being and the doing, we help them integrate brain networks, you know, on and on and on. So what you are doing is powerful work. I haven't found another modality that is as effective in helping people actually increase their, what I would say, increase their consciousness. So, and I didn't come into that saying, I think coaching is the best. That's what I came to after I, after I really looked at what we're doing and the impact that it has on the brain. So I just want to tell everybody, be really, really proud of yourselves. Really. Oh, wonderful way to wrap up our time together. And 
Thanks for taking time out of your very busy schedule to share your incredible wisdom with us and just for having so much fun in our time together today. Yeah, Meg, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you for having me. What a great way to close out the show and to feel good about what we do. Thanks to Ann Betts again for joining the show. She mentioned during her interview that there's books that she could recommend, and we have those books posted on the resource page at starcoachshow.com. Also, Ann's books are there and her website if you would like to be able to get a hold of her. Also, while you're on the Star Coach page, you might want to sign up for our ongoing book giveaway and just be a part of our community. So please visit starcoachshow.com. And also, if you are liking the show, if you could leave a rate and review, we would so appreciate it. Every positive review we get brings more people to the show. So I have a little story to share that just brought a smile to my face and want to share it with all of you because this is how the show grows. A student in my most recent cohort said to me at the end of class the other day, Meg, one of my colleagues came into my office today and said that she listens to podcasts and there's a new podcast that she wants me to listen to. And it was your podcast, which of course put me over the moon. And I was so excited about that. The other part of that is the power of sharing. And I would very much appreciate if you know somebody who would benefit from the content from our shows, send them a link, invite them to be a Star Coach listener. I would appreciate it. And it once again would allow us to take our wonderful guests like Ann Betts forward so that other people can learn from her and coaches can grow in their knowledge and their expertise. So until next week, this is your host, Meg Rentschler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success. We'll see you next week when we have another fabulous guest visiting the show. Take care.